Welcome to Project Cycling. This week we talked to Cooper Sayers and Sam Hill from Nero Continental and we chat to them coming off the back of their successful weekend away at the Grafton to Inverell. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we're live. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode three of Project Cycling. I'm here with the two usual turds, Damo Cotter and Ben Karma, with two amazing guests, Sam Hill and Cooper Sayers. How are you boys? Welcome to the show. Yeah, really good. Thank you. Um, Amazing might be stretching it a touch, but no, I'm really good. I mean, you're on the best NRS team. He's amazing. Amazing is what it is. All right, fair enough then. <laughs> credit where credit's due, we'll take it. <laughs> so, so these two lads just done the probably the toughest race in Australia, 230Ks with over 3,000 metres of climbing. Is that about right? Oh, some, some people got to 238Ks. Yeah. Some people only got to 130Ks. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and Sam managed to crack the podium with the second place, so congratulations. How's the body feeling? Thank you. Uh, it's actually feeling pretty good now. I've had a bit of time to recover. The two days uh, immediately after the race, I was a little bit dusty, uh, but uh, freshened up now. I even went for a two-hour ride this morning, so feeling pretty fresh now, ready to get stuck in for the next one. Oh, sounds good. So did you want to talk us through the race? How did it unfold for you? Because I think you spent a bit of time off the front, didn't you? I did, yeah. Just a, just a cheeky little breakaway, a few K to go. Yeah, it was a long way out. And honestly, I was just thought, you know, we'll just hang out here. Uh, I'm skipping ahead now. So from the start, we had a pretty uh, distinct team plan uh, to just be active and be present in the early moves, which was Ivan Bennett. He was in a two-man break for the first, well, just about 100 kilometres of the race. He went pretty early. That was so good because we were just chilling back in the bunch, having a bit of bands from the team radio, just having a great time, just shutting everything down. And they, to, to their credit, two guys stuck off the front for 100 kilometres, and which ended up with Ivan getting the sprint jersey. They got brought back, and then um, I found myself in a counter attack with four others, and most teams represented a few missed out, which kept the race really interesting, I thought. Just having a couple of teams miss out kept the chase pretty hot, but having enough teams represented gave the breakaway a chance. So it was really, I thought it was a great race uh, between break versus peloton and just held on. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool, hey, because um, I think the it was about 25K to go. Um, the gap came down to 40 seconds. And it just sort of stayed there all the way to the finish. I think the the gap at the finish was still forty seconds, because um, yeah. I mean, I was in I was in the convoy um in in the Nero team car, the calling the shots, being the boss man, just giving him some motivation. Yeah, yeah. Why golly is going to be really hard, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, someone's got to keep the motivation high. Um, yeah. <laughs> And um, yeah, I was just in the in the car behind them on a sugar high from eating a bag full of lollies and <laughs> shouting in the radio. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why the tactics were so wild. Gotcha. 
Nothing worse than a sugar high DS just telling you what to do. <laughs> Jack now, Jack now. <laughs> Sam, how'd you find that? Like, because you obviously backing up from oh, both your lads backing up too from Warney the weekend before, um, and you did a fair bit of work in that as well. In some might say a one man break because uh, you're the only one pulling the turn out there. So how'd you find backing up after that? Well. I actually, I, I admit I felt better at the Warnable. Um, so I obviously had a great run into the Warnie, uh, uninterrupted, perfect preparation, and uh, ended up being a big old bunch sprint. But yeah, I managed to really leave it out all on the road in that two-man move. And then I probably, I had to work three days in the week between the Warnie and the Grafton, which was a little bit much. And to be completely honest, I had two days completely off the bike leading into the Grafton, which as any cyclist would know is not really a good thing. And I'm not proud to admit that, um, yeah, that I kind of stuffed up the last two days a bit. So it took a while to get going, but it was fine with Ivan sort of doing most of the work. And then towards the end of the race, I'd really ridden into it. So luckily the winning or the decisive move didn't come early because it did take a while for the legs to warm up. And what about yourself, Cooper? Like, uh, you know, you backed up as well. How did you find the, uh, I suppose, the week in between and how did you feel coming into Grafton? Yeah, not too bad. Warnie, I was on some pretty good legs um, and I had a ripping, like, first half of the week and then it sort of come crashing down, like, Thursday, Friday. Had some pretty average legs. Um, but... It's pretty easy when you get carried by some pretty good teammates. Like Ivan took the pressure off really early. And then having Sam and Coyle basically just as we hit the top of Gibraltar to like all three of us counterattacking moves. So it wasn't a weight on one person. But then having Sam go up the road, it made my job a little bit easier, sit at the front of the bunch, chase anything, and then – we actually had the call from Ben, yeah, as about 25K to go, and he said, all right, it's, the winner's going to come from the bunch, and then the break held on. So it was pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> a well-oiled machine. He obviously knows <laughs> inside out. <laughs> yeah, well, the way, that, like, the way that the gap came down, it was coming down fast as we got closer to the final two climbs. So we had a hunch that it may, may come down to a, mm. a final sort of selection, but... Yeah, Sam just rode away from us, so it made it easy. I know you said about having um, some good teammates carrying you along and that, that sort of confidence you get from that. How do you find to – I mean, I don't want to give him a rap because he's sitting right beside me, but how do you find it having somebody of Ben's um, Ben's calibre sitting in the car giving you that support as well? Because we don't yeah. really hear a lot about, you know, from that DS perspective or from that, you know, from that role. Yeah, it's, like, it's almost like the un, unsung heroes, like – uh, even um, up, mate. Not too much. Just a little bit of credit. <laughs> I mean, credit <laughs> only Ben. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we had um, a different guy in the car at Warney, and it was he was good, but it wasn't really like on the radio too much because it was, you know, it was a lot easier for it playing out. But I think Ben having raced the race before, and then also knowing what he would do in this situation. Like it was, it was good because he was like acting like he was out on the road. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really easy to take 
the basically commentary from him and even the pinch points in the race like oh we're coming up to a real close farm road or this is going to be a real hard climb you just got to get over and you'll make the selection sort of thing so the like the it was priceless to have that sort of information from someone that's done the race before because that was my first time at the Grafton so I was sort of flying pretty blind I was pretty scared yeah, so I suppose, like you said, having somebody there to tell you exactly what's coming up almost is really puts you in a bit more of a comfortable position. Yeah, it was, it was basically like I'd written it before. It was just like, oh, yeah, you've got a 2K climb coming up. It just sort of reassured me that I wasn't going to get hooped every 10K. Yeah, and the, like the Grafton is a hard race. I think that's <clears throat> um, something that, I uh, know you probably know yourself, Damo, after <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but one like, goat, people, one goat. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, like, seriously, I think it is something a lot of people do who haven't raced it before um, and, and line up. And, and it's quite often um, riders underestimate just how hard the day is because, you know, seeing the distance of the kilometers is one thing. But, um, you know, doing 230Ks up and down the, the Gold Coast, you know, Boulevard is is one thing, but doing it out on those roads is, is a whole different sort of sort of race. Yeah, and I know, obviously, you know, you lads are in a totally different level to myself. I acknowledge that. I mean, slightly. I shouldn't say totally, but no. Um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think one thing that, like, from uh, from my perspective, and you hear everybody talk about how hard the race is and, you know, you know you know how hard it is and everyone sort of preps for that Gibraltar climb. That's obviously a very, very pivotal um, part in that race. But I don't think I gave enough credit to how hard that race is just even leading into the climb. The profile doesn't, yeah. you know, the profile doesn't do that lead into that first 100K justice, I don't think, or that, you know, that first 80K into the climb justice. Yeah, well, when you've got a 20K climb, the 2K climbs is this little dots yeah. on the profile that they yeah. look like nothing. Like, oh, that, that'll be fine. It's one hill. That's right. And, you know, I went back and you look at your you look at your data and your five minutes of VO2 leading into, you know, and then you wonder why you blow up, <laughs> you know. So, I, yeah, I, I suppose it's a lot harder than we hear about how hard it is, but the, the profile and the until you get in there, I, I, for me, I definitely probably underestimated it. I reckon the same thing. Like, I spoke to a fair few people in the week or two weeks leading up to it and I was like, oh, I'm – because like, I saw a few guys, a few other teams recon the Gibraltar and I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do those numbers. Like that's absolutely – like it's, I'm going to get dropped. But you hit the climb with like 70K in your legs, about 1,300 metres of climbing. And then because the start of the race is so hard being so attentive with the moves and stuff, you sort of nose breathe up the climb because you're, you're in more of a com- more comfortable rhythm but it's not until you get to the top of that that it like hurts because you just you just you just got to get over like all the punches. Like I reckon I was cramping probably from the hundred k mark because I just like didn't I just un- yeah again you just underestimate how hard it is. You get to the top of the Gibraltar and it was like just over two thousand meters of climbing. Yeah, and for those who are listening and haven't um, raced it, it is when we say Gibraltar, it's a 16, I think it's 16 and a half K climb. Um, yeah, so it's it's not it's, and, not, and, it's not a small one. No, no, but the gradient's you know fairly agreeable. I think it, it's only averages about five percent. Correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, yeah so it's agreeable enough in regards to that. But I think the length of it is something that most of us don't really have 
access to was, in, in where we live, you know. Yeah, it's still like a 42, 43-minute climb. So, you know, yeah, it, it was a fast climb and we had, like obviously we were just sitting in the bunch comfortable and Sam com- more comfortable than some. Um, but um, <laughs> I may have attacked and then realised, what the hell am I doing? This is so dumb and sat up about 10 seconds later. Anyway. We created some good banter for the uh, team team radio though. Yeah, that was that was that was a classic. Just sitting in the car and hearing Cornell over the radio. Sam, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> Had to look at his clipboard. No, no, this wasn't written on the plan. <laughs> I didn't have a good answer for him, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, and I suppose to highlight how tough it is too, like you say about it being a tough race. And I know we we spoke after the race with a, uh, uh, you know, on the way back, and um, <laughs> and I said, which one's harder? You know, it's obviously Warnables, um longer, but which race did you find harder? And I think you were quite adamant that uh, that Grafton is a lot harder race than Warnable. Yeah, I I, I definitely say because the way that you look at it was we basically raced them in the exact same time. It was like six hours, four to five hours, 56 or something. But the warning is an extra 40 K thereabouts. And we had to do an extra two and a half thousand meters of climbing. So to like for the, the timing wise is similar, but it's a lot less, it's less distance, but it's way more climbing. It's just, it just eats away at your soul basically. Yeah. There's just not the downhill in Grafton. Like you get the 3,000 metres of climbing, but there's, it's not like you get 3,000 metres of downhill where you get to rest. Uh-huh. I think, And then that is like 20 metres of downhill because you start low, finish high. And that 45-minute climb, it's 45 minutes of no rest. It's just on the pedals where most races like warning that you can, you can rest, you can hide, you can tuck away here and there, but not on Grafton. It really is. And you don't, you don't get on the podium – by chance at Grafton, you really have to be one of the strongest riders on the day. And that's, that's definitely kudos to you guys for getting on there. I mean, you don't, you don't do that by accident, not in Grafton. No, and you probably don't do that as an individual rider too. Like, you know, it goes to show the strength that you have in the team at the moment as well. Yeah. You go, Sam. Yeah. It, um, <clears throat> it is very comforting to know that we've got such a strong team. So, you know, like at the start of the race, for instance, I was, I didn't have to do much at all. I was just saving energy in the bunch. Uh, the team was doing the majority of following moves. Uh, Dylan McKenna shut down a really crucial move where we had Ivan up the road, but um, this was a fresh sort of six, seven man group that just caught us by surprise a bit. And I was in a bad place. And I looked around, I was like, hopefully someone, then Dylan came to the uh, rescue and shut it down. And then even when I'm in the break of five, all I know is all, I just know I have to try and beat these five guys. I don't have to, I don't have to make the break stick because I've still got six guys that can be in the finale in the peloton. So it even changes mentality when you're in the break because you can just sort of cruise along. It's not a desperate pull. You know, I've been on teams where, you know, really just getting the break is an amazing thing. So you're just ripping it to shreds and you rarely win from the break. Whereas on a team like Nero, you're in the break and you, it's a different way of thinking. You know, if it, does, if it comes back, it's not the end of the world. 
there's still six guys that can win the race. So it is really helpful to have such good teams surrounding you. Yeah, I think that sort of the results sheet <clears throat> reflects what you said too. Like um, sort of when we sat down and spoke before the race um, and then spoke about the teams that probably did have the, the most depth in riders, um, they pretty much were most of the like teams that had riders in that break and then um, sort of especially the ones that went on to, to pull off a result. Um, yeah, like re- realistically with the exception of, um, well, I mean, like, I was going to say with the exception of Bridge Lane because their rider um, got caught by the bunch um, from the breakaway, but then, you know, they had your brother there still rolling in second in the bunch kick and, and picking up fifth anyway. And yeah, like the, the results sheet does reflect um, the teams that sort of had the most depth, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it often does. I mean, and especially at a race like the Grafton where depth is so important. In the warning, uh, some years like this year were, you know, easy-ish, as easy as a 270-kilometer ride can be really. And depth isn't probably as crucial, but it, it really is at the Grafton. Yeah, um, and I suppose this year too, we hear a lot about um, weather conditions playing a big part of Grafton. You, you really couldn't have asked for more pleasant race conditions um, on the weekend. It was, it was, they were pretty pretty ideal, weren't they? Oh, it was beautiful. I was so happy I could just start in Nixon jersey. For me, that's a massive win because there's nothing worse than I'm I'm a cold-blooded reptile as far as I'm concerned. I hate the cold. So even if it's 12 degrees, I'll be leg warmers, jacket, everything, the works. And taking that off before Gibraltar would have been a big pain. So I'm, I'm really happy it was a perfect day. Well, I personally think that's a, not a bad little segue into talking about, you know, um, wind vests and zipper etiquette and things like that. So we've seen in recent <laughs> times some some zipper issues. Oh, you want to, you want to talk what could you possibly it? referring to? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to actually do a little video. I made this is how it's done and forward it to you, but I thought, you know, it might be a, a bit sore point at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's uh, funny. It, it really, it was a sore point for a bit. I've had people be like, I hope your zipper isn't too much of an issue. And I'm like, oh, stuff off. Like, <laughs> I take it really personally. I'm like, oh, they're probably just, um, being genuine, I need to calm down. <laughs> well, you know, but, no, I'm ready, just, ready to have answer about it now. <laughs> you just take some comfort from the fact that at least it wasn't nationally, you know, nationally broadcast. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> but, I actually, he actually slammed someone on Instagram. <laughs> Trolled the troll, tossed it out, and he's just like. Yeah, it's fine. Like, <laughs> just completely slammed some bloke that was just heckling him. Oh, um, and I'm glad to see that you've calmed down and you can move on from it, you know? <laughs> yeah, and he had, a, he had a light jab. It was like, you know, I hope you don't have any zipper issues that are grafted next week. And <laughs> I was like, hope the – I don't even remember what exactly what I said, but I was like, hope the zipper in your mouth eventually <laughs> yeah. works so shit doesn't keep coming out of it or something. <laughs> I suppose uh, let's have a, a real quick chat about um, you know, a lot of people are always curious as to what um, what the elite guys like yourselves are, are carrying in your in your pockets and, and what you sort of fuel yourself with during a race that long. Um, do you want to talk us through what you're what you're munching on while you're out there? 
Yeah, Cooper, did you want to kick us off with that one? Yeah, I tend to go pretty light in terms of stuff. So um, I I run a gel an hour, um, which is pretty easy. So, so I took I took six gels, only had five, um, and oh, three of those. Going. Yeah, <laughs> three of those were caffeine gels, so it was pretty easy. Um, and then Ben made some uh, raspberry balls, um, like a rice cake type thing. Um, so I took two of those and I was at a music bar and had a Coke. But, yeah, so I, I, I tend to go light on, but it works for me. So I'm going to have to cut in there and they, they, I didn't make those raspberry balls. So my girlfriend made them and I'll get the stuff in the wrist if I don't go. Yeah. <laughs> Does she well, they were good. Podcast, <laughs> What's the um, I suppose for stat wise, if you don't mind my asking, then um, compared to your body weight, like how what what sort of what do you try to hit an hour? Because that's like you said, that's pretty light. What are you trying to hit an hour, like carb intake wise? Probably like between sixty and eighty grams of carbs an hour. Um, I also started with Beta Fuel, so I had two bottles of Beta Fuel as well, which I took three hours to drink. So that's one hundred and sixty grams of carbs. Over three hours is not too bad as well. And then just took mix from them on, which also had about 50 to 60 grams of carbs. Right. So, yeah. I, I, I suppose just to um, query on that you're saying running light, what's, is that something because, you know, is that something you've come to experiment with and that's what your body handles or you're just not a big eater on the bike? Like how have you come to, I suppose, run a bit leaner in that regard? Um, I actually don't know. Um <laughs> Just I plucked really, the number, made it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I see blokes take like 12 gels and I just like cringe at what my guts would do. Um, but I, I just think that uh, it works. Yeah, I haven't really experimented over. I don't really like eating on the bike, but I'm happy to sling a gel. So that's yeah. just, yeah, easy way. I, I, I it ha, It's worked in the past and no I just stuck to that. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. What about yourself, Sam? How what's your sort of um, nutrition and, and fueling in a big race like that? I'll try and aim for a little bit more, maybe ninety to one hundred grams of carbs an hour. But there's certain moments of the race where it's hard to be really methodical with it. Where you know, I forty five minutes in have my first gel because you know a break might be going or something. For instance, when the break formed, which was about fifteen kilometers after Gibraltar. I, I don't think I had any gel or bit of food for over an hour um, just because we were really trying to get that break established because I knew that would put us in a good position. And then I was kind of playing catch up for a fair bit after that. So coming into Glen Innes, I, I was eating bars because I, I can't do a full race on gels. I will just, you know, it doesn't really satisfy your hunger and also – it does, as Cooper was saying, it messes with your guts a fair bit. So I was just really chewing away, force-feeding myself uh, energy bars and I'd have sort of two or three and then I pretty much ate to a point where I just felt a little bit queasy. You don't want to push it, but you really want to top up as much as your guts can take and then, and then back to sort of my regimented 90 grams of carbs an hour after that. Yeah, I think after- if you go... So you go. I was just going to say, after Glen Innes, I was slinging your gels like they were going out of fashion. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't get them in fast enough. I was, yeah, 
I was playing catch up a fair bit because in the excitement of sort of establishing that break, I did forget to eat for a bit. So the rest of the race was a bit of catch up. Yeah, and if you don't go, like if you don't if you don't chew on something as well, you go hunger flat because it's just like you're drinking gels. Like you just like if you don't have anything to chew on, your body just like shuts down. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. It's a, it's an interesting point to make too. You know, you say you neglect that. <laughs> period for a couple, you know, an hour, about an hour you said you didn't take any food or any liquid in, so to speak, because you're, you know, working hard and establishing that break and then you, and you're behind the eight ball and, and catching up. And uh, I suppose that in the lower, I've, I've seen it even just in, you know, lower masters racing levels and stuff like that, that, um, you know, so many people will wait until they're at 45, you know, hour mark before they even think about taking a, a gel 100K into a race and, you know, the damage is done almost. You're playing catch up for the rest of the race. You can't keep on top of it. Yeah, it is, it is super important. And uh, if I was racing as an individual, I probably would be more inclined to have those gels and risk being caught early because uh, when the break went, it was really cat and mouse. Well, a few teams really didn't want it to go and we were only at 30, 40 seconds for maybe 20, 30 minutes. That, at least that's what it felt like. So as an individual, I'd be like, this is my only shot. I need to eat and drink, but I knew if I could just crack, you know, break the elastic, so to say, and then try and make it up later, would Nero would be in a really good position. But, yeah, you're completely right. Yeah, it's really risky. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's so risky, but it works. So. Yeah. yeah, so I suppose looking forward, what do you um, what do you lads got on the horizon? I know, uh, Cooper, you said you've got a, um, a handicap coming up this weekend. What's your recovery like this weekend how you how you looking for the weekend um pretty dog shit now but uh yeah brutal analysis i like it yeah (laughs) (laughs) if you had asked me last weekend i would have said i could go well um but just yeah i've literally done not even 10 hours on the bike this week um just had a cold and just got in what i can it's been um raining heaps as well but Felt all right today, so I'll do. We've got a 160k handicap, and then on the Sunday we have a, I think it's about a 80 minute Kermese, which isn't too bad around Blue Lake, where where they normally do the Great South Coast, um, like the one of the second stages. So that will be good, and then I'll probably just head down. We've got a few like more handicaps, like local stuff, but. I think the main goal will be Tour of Brisbane in July. That's the next for me. Yeah, and that Tour to Brisbane's a uh, a crit, a nighttime crit as well. Sorry, on the Friday night, and then Saturday crit and a Sunday road race. Is that correct? Yeah. So they've got a under lights crit, which Ben said was pretty tough um, on the Friday night, and then I'm pretty sure it's Muzz on Saturday, and then we have. 135, 140k roadie on the Sunday, but it goes up Kutha four times. Yeah. yeah and I see, uh, well, your ex teammate, Jay Vine, still got the, the KOM, I think, up Kutha. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The, um, I'm sure Sam can give that a crack. Oh, <laughs> just you know what? just well, to rub it in. All you got to do is hold 500 watts for six minutes and you can do it. <laughs> Oh, oh, is that it? Easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's exaggerated, mate. I looked at it the other day. It's 498 watts for six minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's insane. 
<laughs> so, um, and yeah, yourself, Sam. You you got anything on between now and um, Tour de Brisbane? Um, yes, I have my local uh, st- uh, race here in Tamworth. So it's a New South Wales State Open, the Gunnedatta Tamworth. Um, I won it back three years ago, and I didn't get to race it in 2019, COVID last year. So yeah, really looking forward to get stuck into that race. It's about 130 kilometers. Uh, it's really exposed, so crosswinds usually play a part, just with a few little rolling hills at the end. So always a bit of fun, finishing in the hometown. So that's a good little bit of motivation, and it's about smack bang in the middle between now and Brisbane. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. Oh, there's a couple of couple of races. If people uh, are listening to these and want to get out and hit it with the big hitters, get along this weekend, you know where they're going to be. Yep, got another time worth. Get around it. <laughs> so how are you finding the Nero team anyway, Sam? Because you you were with them, then you left and came back. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, it's probably good to cover this and get it on the public record because a lot of people have asked me individually. Um, so Bridge Lane offered me a spot in 2020 and I kind of felt like it was one of those offers where if I said no – it would be like gone forever um, just out of, you know, they would probably see it as disrespect. So I thought I owed it to myself to, you know, try it out. And um, I feel like Bridgeline didn't, they didn't really get a fair crack at showing what they could, their potential was through COVID. And it was, it was a little unfortunate, the lack of racing and the, the massive squad that we had. They'd picked a squad, uh, you know, a, a, for a team overseas racing at the same time as a team in Australia and teams here and there. And there just wasn't enough racing to go around. And then especially this year when the NRS is back on, we had 19 guys trying to make a seven-man squad. And then you add in the fact that the DS coaches about four or five of the riders and they coincidentally seem to get picked for just about every single race. So really, instead of 19 guys fighting for a seven-man squad, it's more like 14 guys fighting for a two-man squad. So really, you're not racing. You're sitting at home and you're taking photos at the cafe and you get the kit and you get the bike and you're a professional trainer. (laughs) And also, another thing, like I won't – I really don't have much negative to say about Bridge Lane, but the team is very spread out. Um, and you know, Nero is spread out as well to an extent, but you know, Bridge Lane had one in Queensland or, you know, one in WA, one in South Australia and Victoria and Tasmania, every single state. And it was pretty evenly spread out and it's just hard with COVID to make it feel like a team. So, you know, the lack of racing and the lack of really feeling like a team, the group chat wasn't going off very much at all which is a big thing for me. <laughs> and so it just, I just sent Chris a message and it just felt so good to come back to Nero. I could not be happy with the decision. It really, no regrets whatsoever. And you even see that with Nero, like they just seem to have that team vibe and just lift people too. Like when you watch riders that join Nero, they, some teams that like you see riders, they'll join a team and they'll beat themselves or even underperform. But Nero has just a knack of lifting people and just getting that most out of everyone. It does seem like a good good team from the outside looking in anyway. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Clause 5.8, isn't that right? <laughs> 5.8, <laughs> yep. I, I suppose you touched on just before, Sam, you know, at Bridge Lane, you, you probably felt the sting of that lack of connectivity with your, your teammates, um, so to speak, that social connectivity as much as a team team connection. I think being, being humans as we are, we like to be connected to what we're doing, don't we? Like, you know, you like to be connected with your mates and, and when you're racing together, generally that's what you are. You're, you're a bit of a family, bit of a bit of a group of mates. So I suppose if you don't have that, did you find that that affected your performance a little bit as well? Yeah, big time. Yeah, well, maybe not big time. That might be a slight exaggeration, but it did to an extent. And, you know, it's nothing – it's not the any of the riders' faults. They're all really nice people. Um, and I'm good mates with, you know, a lot of the New South Wales guys on the team, you know, because we've grown up racing together. But it did feel a little bit like, you know, you see these guys at racing – and then you go home and forget about them for a few months and then you come back and, you know, you, you say you're polite, you greet each other and you sort of – and another thing with the APOM, we'd sort of get our own rooms half the time, which not only is expensive but also like a kind of get away, get away from Tamworth and it's good to catch up with everyone, whereas a lot of, a lot of the team like to spend time in their own rooms and that, that was a big thing for me. Yeah, yeah. You, you, like you were saying, you, you want to feel connected to what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and like you said, this isn't a, you know, a negative about any particular, you know, any particular person or any team, so to speak. It's just a, a generalised comment about how we like to be connected to people. Yeah, like I, I 100% agree. I mean, I even found that myself last year, um, like being the only Queenslander on Nero um, is somewhat uh, isolated from the rest of the team, but... There's, I know there was, I found there's something special about the atmosphere there where even though I basically went eight months without um, racing with anyone, it sort of never felt like it was a case of just forget about your teammates and I'll see you when, see you when this thing blows over. Um, It was, you know, a lot of connectivity. Like we did a couple of Skype calls um, all together and that, and it still sort of very much felt like, you know, when Tura Tweed rolled around, it felt like it had only been, um, you know, two, three weeks ago that we're all at the training camp sort of thing. I suppose, Sam, you spoke about it just earlier and, and even Cooper touched on it a bit that, you know, you're out in that break and you've got that confidence that you've got your team behind you that, um, you know, they're going to do their job. And I think when you're connected with people and you've got that great team vibe, people want to rock up and you want to perform and you don't want to let your teammates down as well. So I think you go that extra when you're comfortable in a team or when you're comfortable with that group of people, you definitely seem to push yourself that little bit more for fear of not want, wanting to let people down within that team. Definitely. You know, as cliched as it sounds, all for one, one for all. Uh, yeah. That's definitely something that Nero utilises in a race. Um, and and my like key carnival. What's that? <laughs> and my Kia Carnival. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just abuse that poor thing. Yeah. <laughs> but that is, like I was in the same boat as Ben being the only South Aussie last year on the team. Lucky I've got like a teammate this year. But you go to races and obviously we went to Warney and then start like COVID hit. And when we came back for the tour to Tweed at the end, it was like the team hadn't missed a beat. We did one day where we 
every single rider committed for Jay when he won. We did another day when Jay and Ben just took the piss on the field. Um, yeah, that but, was pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, every, is there, there's not one person in the team that would, like, wouldn't lay down for another person. There's no one in the team that just was like uh, someone else would do it sort of thing. So the actual camaraderie and stuff, like, it's just not – you don't see it too often in teams. Everyone wants to get their results, get their own – Palmares up a little bit, but with us, it's more, it's a, it's a team thing. Like you can't win if you don't have teammates around you. Yeah. Like Trent said before, definitely shows. Yeah. And we're, we are pack animals, but it's with anything. It is hard to create that positive environment. <clears throat> it is. It does take the right ingredients, the right personalities, but once you do create it, it is something special. Like it really is. And I think hats off to, you know, Chris running the team too. Like it definitely takes good leadership as well. Like it takes somebody to keep that, you know, to drive that culture and, and to promote that and foster it and bring in the right people who share that same sort of view on that team culture and, and what you want to achieve. Well, this was the first team where um, when I was originally talking to joining them, we basically had like a, a Zoom call with um, Chris and Luke and it was more like a job interview um, and it had nothing to do with race results or experience. It was more like just sussing me out as a, as a person and, um, I just thought this was bizarre. I'd come from. Surprised you got the gig. Yeah. How did you get past that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I can act when I need to. (laughs) But yeah, I come from years of like racing on European teams that were all just about results. Um, And there'd be a grand total of like three emails between you and the manager um, prior to joining the team. And yeah, like it was, yeah, that, that whole process did kind of blow me away actually. Mm. And it's good to see teams starting to do that, you know. And I genuinely, I hope that sort of culture or that that embracing of that culture spreads amongst you know more teams. I think that'd be a great way to move forward. Yeah, I do actually think there is a fair bit of that going on in the NRS. Um, like at least uh, at least from the the outside looking in. Um, I mean, I have a, a, quite a few mates on other teams, um, and you know, it, it does does seem like as as far as I can see from from people I've spoken to that like ARA have a really, really good thing going up on the Sunshine Coast. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's not happening at all in the NRS, but um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see. Yeah, it's awesome. Or maybe uh, think about wrapping it up, I suppose. I'm pretty running out of ideas to talk about unless anyone's got too much else. <laughs> I've never heard you say you ran out of ideas to talk I about. <laughs> I mean, just on this topic. I mean, I can just start waffling now, but it doesn't make for good listening. <laughs> Uh, I really thank you you both for coming on too. Like um, we saw a great team performance, um, although probably not the, the result you were hoping for a warning, but a great a great effort and a great performance down there. And then to come up to Grafton and back it up and and come away on the podium um, and, and show that depth of depth of your talent there. So yeah, fantastic ride. So really, um, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time, both of you, to, to come and chat with us tonight. Yeah, Thanks for thanks for inviting us. It's been really good to talk things over and have a have a bit of a record so I can listen to this, you know, when I'm 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> every day until you're 80. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe every second day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I suppose we've hopefully um, 
get to see you in action when you come up to tour to Brisbane, one of our locals that we can get along and hopefully see you both have a cracker of an outing there too. That'd be fantastic. As long as you bring your key carnival, mate, I'll be there. Never leave home without it. (laughs) (laughs) Even take the baby seat out of it again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. And until next time we, uh, yeah, we'll let you get, let you get going. Yeah. And, and and thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, It's, it is, it is, much appreciated everyone who tunes in and we'll catch you next time.